Ever since 9-11, it seems as if the security of our nation has been an almost constant concern, hasn't it? Law- lawmakers just making um, different decisions on how to best to protect our country and to what degree do we need protecting. And so they've come up with different kind of measures than we had before. You know, you can't just go to the airport and get on a plane the same way that you used to. Before 9-11, things have changed. And one of those measures that they've taken to kind of change things a little bit, or that's been looked at anyway, is the idea of profiling. Profiling, it's the idea that you can look at someone and based on certain characteristics, certain traits, whatever, make a decision that, hey, this person could be a threat, so let's just kind of head it off. The, the Israelis kind of are, are brilliant at this. They're, they're the ones who invented it and started it and really got it going. And um, it's my understanding that if you're traveling in the Middle East and Israel, that you could uh, plan to get on a bus or on a train or or, or on a plane, and someone in plain clothes would just come up to you and just start talking with you and have a conversation with you, and, and they'll seem pleasant, and they'll, they'll ask you uh, just about the weather or about, about Israel, where, where you like to go, where you like to visit, what you like to do, and make no mistake about it, the whole time they're profiling you. They're, they're trying to look and see the way that you're handling your luggage or how you're looking around or if you have any mannerisms or the way you're talking as if to determine could you possibly be a threat. Now, in America, we don't like the idea of profiling so much. We don't like the idea that, hey, you can just look at somebody and without them having done anything, you just already make a determination that they're, they could be guilty of something. We, we kind of we, we back away from that. We believe in innocent until proven guilty. But there is an irony in that. And the irony is, while we don't like to be profiled, none of us want to be profiled, at the same time, we've been profiling one another for years, haven't we? We, we look at people, and based on a, an initial reaction, a gut feeling, something in ourselves, we make a determination right away. This is someone who I can talk to and want to have a conversation with, or this is somebody I'm going to back away from and, and not, really, not really engage. I want to avoid this kind of person. You know, we'll be polite, but we make the determination we don't want to hang out with them. There is something about them that causes us just to keep a distance, not engage in any kind of meaningful way. So when we turn to John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42, John 1, 1 through 42, John 4, 1 through 42, the scary reality is that if we were there instead of Jesus, a conversation may never have even taken place. That if it was us at the well instead of Jesus, we might have profiled and never even had a conversation because we would say, this is somebody I don't know that we really want to get to know. We, We want to keep this lady at arm's length. We don't feel so comfortable talking to people like that. I guess Jesus' dad never told him there are some people you just don't talk to. Let's read it together. John 4, 1 through 42. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, 
near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, or noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem Will you worship the Father? You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is speaking such people to, is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is, is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. 
And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. You read that story, and honestly, sometimes don't you think that Jesus could have benefited from a handler? You know, someone just kind of guide him around and, and tell him, like, who to speak to and who not to speak to. That he could have avoided a whole lot of controversy, right, if he would have had someone. You know, powerful, well-connected people, they have handlers. So that when other people come up to them, they can kind of whisper in their ear and let them know, hey, here comes so-and-so, this is what they do. And that way, when the person approaches, the person of power can reach out their hand, extend a greeting, and call them by name, and, and ask them about what it is they're doing, and, and just have a pleasant conversation. Don't you think Jesus could have benefited from having someone to whisper in his ear and just say, hey, Jesus, that's not somebody you want to talk to. It's not going to reflect well on you if you start engaging her. I mean, if this weren't a Bible story and we just heard about somebody having a conversation with a woman like this, we might have said, what? Why, are, why is he, why is she talking with that person? See, if he had a good handler, he could avoid things like this. I mean, you talk about three strikes, you're out. Jesus steps all in it here. When Jesus asked this woman for a drink, any good Jew reading this story just spit the water right out of their mouth and they got all offended. I mean, we saw it last week, too. Jesus turns the water into wine, and we see the, the Pharisees pointing, oh, Jesus is a drunk. It's the same thing here. I mean, see, here's the thing about Jesus. He steps all over our, our cultural sensitivities. He, he steps all over our sense of morality and what we think is right or wrong. He steps all over it. He does not want to be sanitized to fit our morality, and at the same time, he doesn't want to be plagiarized to fit our sense of, our sense of licentiousness. He offends on both ends, and he does it here. See, he's conforming us into the image of Christ. And so he offends us, right, because we're not in that image yet. And if you haven't been offended by some of the things that Jesus does, then you've got to read your Bible more carefully because he does things that sometimes we look at and we shake our heads for one reason or the other. And he's doing it again here. And if you just want to call it cultural, well, this culture here was way more sensitive than our culture today. I mean, Jesus talking in this, to this woman, making this request of this woman, he breaks all kinds of cultural taboos. And the people of his day would be all kinds of offended, and they would be saying, that's not right, Jesus. You can't talk to her, Jesus. To, to understand the impact, let me back up with you. Let me go back into ancient history a little bit, about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Okay, about 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the Assyrians attacked the northern tribes of Israel. They captured it, took a great majority of the Jews into captivity there. And the Jews who remained in the country intermarried with the Gentiles of that land. Okay, and so when they intermarried, this was unforgivable to the Jews. And these people were the Samaritans. And in a strict Jewish household, even to this day, if a Jewish son or daughter marries a Gentile, his or her funeral service is carried out. Even to this day, such a person is dead in the eyes of Orthodox Judaism. That's how seriously they take it. And so later, when, when Ezra and Nehemiah came into Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls and rebuild the city, the Samaritans offer their help. Say, hey, we'll help. We'll help rebuild. 
And they were refused because they're Samaritans. And so years after that, Alexander the Great, he gave the Samaritans the privilege, the opportunity anyway, to build a temple on Mount Gerasim so that the Samaritans could worship there. But this was quite a feud. I mean, this was ugly. Some Pharisees even prayed that there would be no Samaritans in the resurrection. They're praying for the eternal damnation of Samaritans, okay? This is how ugly things are. This is how bitter and nasty. Samaritans were deemed unclean from the cradle. And now, here is Jesus. He doesn't have a handler to tell him, Jesus, that's a Samaritan woman. Might want to stay away. So he commits faux pas number one. He talks to a Samaritan. A Samaritan. Okay, you, you have to understand, this is just despicable in those days. He should know better. You don't talk to Samaritans. And faux, faux pas number two, it's not just a Samaritan. He's talking to a Samaritan woman. A Samaritan woman. And as hard as it may seem to understand today, the men and women of Jesus' day, they lived completely separate lives. Just completely separate lives. And, you know, today, I mean, sometimes you'll put safeguards in place. Um, for instance, did you know uh, Dr. Billy Graham, in his ministry, he, he put a, just this kind of rule that he self-enforced upon himself that he would never be in a place alone with another woman who was not his wife. Okay, and I mean, he took this to the extreme. He would not be in an elevator alone with a woman who was not his wife. Okay, there were occasions when famous women, important women, whatever, would want to meet with Dr. Graham. And so he would meet them in the lobby of a hotel, and a couple tables over would be his people there kind of watching, and a couple tables over on the other side would be security there just kind of watching. See, it's no wonder there was never, ever a hint of rumor or scandal or anything with Dr. Graham's ministry, right? You, you never heard one peep about any of that. Why? Because he took all these precautions. Understand, Jesus knew the Billy Graham rule because his culture had that rule in spades. I mean, it wasn't just a person like Billy Graham following that rule. It was all of culture following that rule. In fact, first century Jewish culture, women were like property to be acquired and to be sold away. They didn't have any kind of share in the inheritance. In fact, it, would be, it wouldn't be until the gospel and Christianity came that would give women equal value in the eyes of the culture. I mean, at that time, Ephesians 5.28, for a Jewish man to hear that, to love your wife as yourself, that's scandalous at the time. I mean, this is, it's so radical. We, we can't even hardly taste it in our culture today, but it was radical thinking back then. In Jesus' day, it was forbidden for a rabbi to even greet a woman in public. Okay? You couldn't even kind of nod your head or, or, or make eye contact or anything like that. If you're a Jewish rabbi, you can't even look at a woman in public. And here is Jesus. This rabbi having a conversation with a Samaritan woman in public, alone. And this is a woman with quite a reputation, you know. 
I mean, she's come to draw water at noon, the hottest part of the day. Why? Because all the other women would be there about six in the evening when the day was cool. And perhaps five of those women who would be there about six in the evening were married to her five previous husbands. And she knew that they'd be talking. They'd be laughing and whispering and sneering and gossiping. And so she gets her water when no one else is there. No one, no one to stare, no one to point, no one to whisper, no one to talk behind her back. Five times divorced, now living as an adulterer. And Jesus talks to her. He risks the scandal. He risks the rumor. See, Jesus, he, he really could have used a handler, couldn't he? Someone to tell him, Jesus, come on, you might get yourself in trouble. And then there's the third strike, faux pas number three. He turned to this lowly, sinful, needy woman, and he asks her for a drink of water. I mean, any good Jew reading this story right there, they just dropped their water. They can't believe what's just happened. Because to ask a sinful Samaritan for anything. I mean, there was a law in the day that to take something from a Samaritan or to use a vessel that a Samaritan has used is to take their impurity and just put it on yourself. <laughs> that whatever they're guilty of, you're now guilty of. That you are now identifying yourself as a Samaritan. And that's what Jesus does. He says, can I have a drink? He asks her for the drink. See, in this story, you have the holy Son of God, Jesus Christ, and he's breaking down all barriers of ethnicity, of gender, and orthodoxy as he approaches this lady. He breaks it all down. You remember when Jesus uh, told Nicodemus, for God so loved the world? This is that love in action. This is that love in action because love requires us to do hard things. It requires us to do hard things. When is the last time you did something hard for a stranger simply because you saw them like Jesus sees them and loved them? I mean, do hard things. Do hard things. Jesus, I mean, you think about it. Ethnically, he's not supposed to have anything to do with Samaritans. He doesn't care. He breaks down that barrier. He's not supposed to have anything to do with women. The gender barrier is there. He doesn't care. He breaks it down. He's not supposed to do anything with someone who is unclean, impure. This is orthodox. He doesn't care. He breaks down all these barriers of religion, of ethnicity, of gender. He doesn't care. He's going after the woman, and he loves her anyway. And this is what he's called us to do to do hard things. I mean, you look at all the cultural norms that Jesus is willing to violate to talk to this woman. Sometimes we get more offended by who people are talking to than being offended that people will claim Christ and not talk to people like that. And it's a tragedy See, we know that Jesus stepped all in it. 
We know that he's committed all these cultural faux pas. That, I mean, he, we know that he's in a mess because you look at the end of the story and did you catch how the disciples responded when they show up? That They show up and they see that Jesus has been talking to this Samaritan woman and they don't say anything. I mean, these are the guys who can never keep their mouth shut, right? These are the guys who are always asking Jesus something. Hey, Jesus, what did you mean by that? Jesus, could you explain this to us? Jesus, how do we pray? Jesus, can I be at your left and your right? Jesus, when is this going to happen? Jesus, tell us. Here, he's, they see what's happening this time. Nothing. Not a zilch. They don't say a word because they know uh, you should not be doing that, Jesus. Instead, they do the typical guy thing, you know. Sometimes, this is one of those passages that unless you're a guy, you may not just, you may not get this right off. If you're a guy, you know, you walk up to a friend, and he's in just this embarrassing situation, and you see it, and you know what's going on, and you don't quite know what to say, right? I mean, you're a guy, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't really want to say anything. So what do you do? You just turn the conversation to food. You know, that's what the disciples do. Jesus, don't you think you should get something to eat? Aren't you getting hungry, Jesus? Let's just go grab a sandwich somewhere so we can get out of this mess, you know. We we need to get you away from this, Jesus. See, they know what he just did, and they know you don't do that. At the beginning of the story, It says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. I mean, there there were ways around Samaria. In fact, any self-respecting Jew went around Samaria and not through it. There was a way around. Samaria was the wrong place to be. It was the place you did not go to if you were a Jew. You made your way around. You took the longer journey. In fact, if you really had to go through Samaria, I mean, if, like you were chased by a bear or something, and you go through Samaria, as soon as you are able, the cultural norm of the day was you would take off all your clothes, and you would wash your clothes, and you would wash your body just as soon as you could so that you did not take the dust of Samaria with you because it was so bad. Jesus goes through Samaria, a hard place, but he goes, and he's talking to a woman whose life you look at and you say, her life is a train wreck. Look at the way she's lived, her lifestyle choices, everything. Her life is a train wreck, and Jesus is talking with this woman alone. This is a hard person. Sometimes we read passages like this that we're familiar with, and there's a danger in that familiarity. Because we sometimes can fill in the details and we can imagine things a certain way. You need to understand as you read this passage, in the days of Jesus, only a man could initiate divorce. Only a man could initiate divorce. A woman couldn't initiate that. A man had to do it. And in this story, five times, some man married her. And five times, some man rejected her. He found something out about her after the wedding and turned her away. I mean, divorce was rare in this society, okay? It was not common. It wasn't prevalent. It was, it was rare. And five times, this woman has been rejected. And now she's living with a man who's not her husband, and you get the feeling that she's just kind of given up. 
It's not that she's trying to win anymore. She just doesn't want to lose. You know, sometimes you make little compromises, don't you? Sometimes you make little deals just because you don't want to hurt anymore. Just because the pain is so bad, you just want something to, something to provide some level of comfort, some, some measure of refuge. Five times some man had told her to leave. Five times she's been rejected. Yeah, we can talk about her character. We can talk about her choices. We can talk about her lifestyle, all those things. But can you see her pain? Can you see her hurt? The the shame associated with all this? It's why she didn't go to the well when all the other ladies did. The pain. The shame. The gossip. Just too much. The bullying. It's why Jesus had to go through Samaria, you know. He had to go through Samaria to meet her. (laughs) He had to go through Samaria so that he could be at that well at noon and talk to this lady. You see, Jesus accepts who the world rejects. Jesus accepts who the world rejects. To her culture then, She was an outcast, five times, divorced, adulterer. To Jesus, well, he just had to go through Samaria because she was going to be there. And then Jesus, he has one of the longest conversations that he ever has with anybody. I mean, you think about it. Think of all the conversations recorded in Scripture and, and how much information we have on these conversations. Hardly anybody gets this kind of time. I mean, you think about Pontius Pilate, you think about the Pharisees, and there's lines here or there, questions here and there. But hardly anybody gets like this number of paragraphs. And think of all this, the way this conversation went. I mean, they're talking about religion, and they're talking about worship, and they're talking about her personal life, and they're talking about marriage, and they're talking about all kinds of things here. Jesus is all over the map with this woman. Nobody gets that kind of time. She does. Why? Maybe her testimony gives us a hint. After her conversation, she runs into the village, the the same village full of all the other people who she wanted to avoid before, right? Now she leaves her water jug behind and runs to them to tell them, come see a man who knew everything about me. Come see a man who knew everything about me. And implied in that statement, come see a man who knew everything about me and stayed anyway. Come see a man who knew everything about me and stayed anyway. Come meet a Savior who stays. You see that? We get to run into the places where we live, work, study, and play and introduce people to a Savior who stays. We get to introduce people to a Savior who stays. See, if you've met the Jesus of the Scriptures, he disrupts your life in such a way that you are never the same. That you will leave your water jug right there. And Jesus invites this woman before she's cleaned her life up. She's still living as an adulterer, you know. 
She hasn't left the man yet. She hasn't had time to do that. He still invites her to run and tell and go tell. Invite people to come see me. And we get to go and tell people of a Savior who stays anyway. Who knows everything about us and stays anyway. And the Jewish people, they read a story like this. And they see a woman like this. And they profile her and they are offended by her when they should be more offended by their own dead religious piety that was sending people to hell. This woman, moments after meeting Jesus, introduces people to a Savior who stays. And I know, sometimes some of you are neutralized because you're scared to death that something from your past is going to catch up with you in your present. And, and you worry, you know, that, that's going to come back to bite me. Somebody's going to find out about what I did, that really dumb moment in my life when I made this really dumb decision, that weak moment when I just gave in. I did, if I could take it back, oh, I'd take it back. But if it ever got out, <laughs> it ruined me. And so you're just stuck right there. Kind of like this woman. You're not trying to win anymore. You just don't want to lose. Just tired of hurting. Tired of being ashamed. So you take whatever refuge you can. Do the best you can and just try to live. Living with a man who wasn't her husband. Broken. Train wrecked. Tired of being rejected. And what she found out was this. There is a Jesus who knows everything about me and stays anyway. There is a Jesus who knows everything about me and he'll stay anyway. I've told you this before, but God is an eternal God. He doesn't carry a calendar. He doesn't wear a watch. He is is outside outside of our dimensions of, of time and space. He is eternal which means he's able to reach into our future and declare what our future will be like. And when he talks about our future, you know he speaks about it in the past tense because it is as good as done. That There's there's no wondering, will this happen? May it happen? Well, here's the plans I have. We'll see if it all comes to fruition. No, Jesus is eternal. God is eternal. So when he reaches into our future, he speaks about it in the past tense. It's almost hard for us to do in the English language to talk about future in the past tense. But that's what God does because it is as good as done. And at the same time, Jesus reaches into our past. God reaches into our past to that moment that we're so ashamed of. That, that dumb moment in our life that if we could take it back, oh, you know we would. That moment of weakness. And what he does is he heals the past. He redeems the past so that it doesn't bleed into our present. Jesus steps right into that moment when we were at our weakest, when it was our ugliest, when it was so despicable and nasty and we're ashamed of it and we just want to keep it quiet. We want to keep that skeleton way in the closet so that it never comes out. And Jesus reaches into that moment even today and he redeems it and he heals it so that it doesn't have to poison your present. 
He's a God who stays, even though he knows everything about you. And I know some of you, you don't want to bring it up. You don't want to bring that moment up. You don't, you don't want to tell anybody about it. You don't even want to go to Jesus with it. Because you think, oh, I just got to relive it again. He's, he's going to bring it up. I'll, I'll feel so bad. It's too late. Jesus already knows. He already knows. You're not hiding it from him. He already knows. It's not like you're going to say something to Jesus and he's going to be all surprised and, whoa, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Whoa, hey, can you just slow down a little bit? I need some time to process this. No, Jesus already knows. And he came anyway. He already knew what was going on with this woman at the well. And he came anyway. He already knows what's going on in your life. And he came anyway. And he stays anyway. The same way he had to go to Samaria to meet that woman. It's the same reason he's come here. To meet you. He loves, he cares, and he comes anyway. There's a danger in reading a story like this because of its familiarity to us. But there's another danger. So we read a story like this, and as we're reading it, we can think, boy, that woman, she was a train wreck. Look at everything going on in her life, the choices she made, the lifestyle she was living. Man, she was rough. God is so good, you know, that he would send Jesus to meet a woman like that. And if you read the story that way, you know you're reading it just like the other women at the well. You're reading it like the other women who are all comfortable in their place, thinking, I can just have conversations. <laughs> I can just be comfortable. And I can look at a woman like that and kind of keep my distance, kind of profile her. But see, if you come face to face with Jesus, if you've ever been face to face with Jesus, if you've ever really met the Jesus of the Scripture. And you read a story like this, and you see that you are the Samaritan woman. That we're all train wrecks. That our sin is so ugly and so nasty and so despicable that it may be different than hers, but it's just as ugly. And that God should look at us and point at us and avoid us. But instead, he came anyway. And so the question comes to us today. Are we still like the woman at the well? Or are we like the women at the well? Are we, are we like the women who can just continue to have our conversations, continue to talk about what's going on in life and just be comfortable and just live and just, just go in the cool of the day when everything's easy? Point, judge, profile 
Or are we like the woman at the well who's come face to face with Jesus? And so you drop your water jugs and you leave everything and you just run and tell people about a man who knows everything about you and came and stayed anyway. Heavenly Father, may we never get over the fact that you came for us anyway. With all of our ugliness, all of our sin, that you came anyway and you stayed. And God, for, for anybody here who may read this story like, a, like one of the other women at the well and look and just think, dear God, thank you that I'm not like that woman. Father, I pray that they would come face to face with the Jesus of the scriptures a Jesus who steps all over our cultural sensitivities so that we would be like you, that we would risk rumor and we would risk scandal because we don't profile people, God. We love people and we take your message to them anyway, just like you came for us anyway. God, we need your help to do this. So we ask this. By the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen.